Well, let's turn to the Word of God once again, and we're turning here to the book of Acts and chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and the verse which I want to take this evening is from verse 40, Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, and there uh, it is recorded, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Bit of a clumsy word, untoward. Other way, other places in the scriptures, I suppose it would be froward. Uh, but that was a word which uh, took me a long time to really come to uh, consider what it meant and to actually look it up. And of course, uh, it's easy to work out once you have looked at it, like many words are. Uh, we have the terminology to and fro. Uh, so we have two ward. And we have fro-ward. So to-ward is to go toward something. That's a word we use all the time. Fro-ward means to back away or to turn away and to go away from it. And so the word fro-ward just simply means that. And that's really what the word is here, isn't it? Un-toward. Perhaps it's a kind of a middle word because it's not toward and perhaps it's not fro-ward either. So it's a kind of a a, a middle word there uh, which is used. But save yourselves from this untoward generation let's bow our heads and ask the lord's help in the preaching of the word now father we thank thee for the book which thou hast put into our hands and we thank thee for the records which have been recorded for us that we might be equipped for all of the time until the lord jesus christ returns once again we thank the lord for its depth for its breadth and for the wonders that it contains for the con- connections throughout the scriptures Lord, and we are so often amazed by those connections, by the prophecies and the fulfillments and just the doctrines which occur throughout the word, Lord, by different people in different ages, under different circumstances, and yet the theology and the doctrine remains the same. And Lord, we are amazed that we see this golden thread of the Spirit's work in every writer who has put his pen uh, to a manuscript to write and Lord we pray that thou wouldst bless us as we look into these things and that thou wouldst hide these things in our hearts that we might be able to draw from the treasure of our heart things of old, things old and new at every need so bless our thoughts now we pray thee and bless this word by whomsoever it may be heard in time to come and just now and we pray, our Father, that thou would save souls. We pray that thou would bring sinners into this house to hear the word as it is preached. But, Lord, thou art also able to send the word forth. And so, Father, we pray that thou would bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to uh, take these words as a text, I suppose, but within the context, I usually do that. Didn't do that this morning as we uh, just took a couple of words, really, uh, about duty Uh, on the basis of the Queen being so often spoken about as being dutiful. And uh, we were thinking about that this morning. But uh, I want to consider these words which are spoken to us of the Apostle Peter. Uh, He stands to preach. Uh, He had been one, of course, who uh, uh, was ready to do all kinds of things and sometimes didn't actually do them. Remember, he said, I would never forsake thee. Uh, I will even go to death for thee, he said to Jesus. And then when the soldiers came, he ran. Uh, with all the rest of them, it must be admitted, uh, they all ran. They all disappeared. No man stood with me. 
Uh, but we know that he did follow after Jesus and was found in the place where Jesus was being uh, interrogated. And so there was something there at least. But then he denied the Lord three times. And for whatever reason that may be, I have uh, some ideas which perhaps depart somewhat from the traditional view of those uh, of fear. Uh, but uh, perhaps another reason for the fear which he had. But nevertheless... He had failed then, but this time he is ready to go forward and he is ready to preach to this great congregation of people. And here are the people, really, who have taken Christ and, uh, and have crucified him. So it's not an easy thing to do. He knows that there are many there who will be against him. And he is really railing against them as well, isn't he? Uh, because he tells them that it was you who took the Lord's Christ and crucified him. You nailed him to a cross. You did it with wicked hands. And yet he is fearless in saying these things and has great power, of course, by the Holy Ghost. He is moved by the Holy Ghost. He is, speaks by the Holy Ghost. And the power of the Holy Ghost is evident in the response which he has from that great crowd in those days. How important it is that we pray and that we know the power of the Holy Ghost. And if we're not knowing that power, we need to be praying more. And that's uh, the exhortation to all of us in this church, that we pray more, uh, that we seek the Lord and we seek his power and we seek that the gospel goes forth, not just in word and the letter which killeth, but it might go forth in power. So I want to think about uh, these words, which were, well, they're a bit strange, aren't they? Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now we know if we are Christians here tonight, we know that we don't save ourselves uh, that we need the salvation of the Lord. That's why he's called the Savior. And there is no salvation apart from him or in other, any other name. So what is Peter saying here? Well, really he is uh, saying something similar to what we preached on last week where we were talking about the wide gate and the narrow gate and the narrow way and the broad path. And we were thinking about how the crowds go through that broad path, through the main gate. And there's a little gate which we might so easily miss, walk right past it, not see it. And he's saying a similar thing there, really. He is saying, just don't go with the crowd, but save yourself. Think about yourself. Think about your soul. Uh, we are only too good about thinking about other people's souls and, and thinking about what they need and how they need to be saved and but we don't very often think about our own hearts and souls. We need to have that exaltation. And that's what Peter is saying here. And he is saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. A generation who doesn't care. A generation who is not following after God. Not after the teachings of the Old Testament. And remember, he's speaking to Jews here. And there would be many who had come from across the, the, the Roman world. They would have been Jews, but nevertheless, they would have been very often Romans also. Perhaps some of them were servants. Perhaps some of them were slaves. Uh, some, some of them would have been merchants. And they'd come back to Jerusalem to, see, uh, to meet together at, at Pentecost so that they could worship together. And here they are. And uh, so many of them didn't understand really what the scripture was saying when it spoke of the Messiah coming. And here Peter is making that very plain to them. So I want to think about, well, I've got four headings tonight, but I will try and keep them as short as possible. 
First of all, the proclamation, the proclamation. That's what Peter is doing here, isn't it? He's standing up to proclaim the word. He is preaching the gospel. Please God, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so here is this proclamation. What is the proclamation? Well, first of all, his proclamation is Christ. Who is Christ? Who is this Messiah? And it's very plain as he preaches. He doesn't bandy about any words, but he says this Jesus, verse 32 he says this jesus hath god raised up whereof we all are witnesses therefore being by the right hand of god exalted and having received of the father the promise of the holy ghost he hath shed forth this this jesus he has raised up jesus he hath made jesus both lord and christ he's very plain uh, who it is and he sets it before them and he sets it before people who have lately witnessed these things and now are amazed how the disciples go amongst them speaking to them in their own languages now they're amazed that, that these people from from galilee mostly uh, that these people from galilee should be able to speak in all of these different tongues different dialects different languages perhaps and they speak fluently and they all speak the wonderful works of God. And here is a great opportunity for Peter to draw them together and to preach the word to them. And we can see that there was a great crowd because uh, I very much doubt that every person in that crowd was saved. And yet we see at the end, 3,000 made a profession of faith. 3,000 were baptized that day. And uh, what a tremendous day that was. So the proclamation was a proclamation of Christ. Who is Christ? Who is the Messiah? Who is this promised one who would come into the world? Who is this one who is foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament? Then also in his proclamation, there is the proclamation of the crucifixion. And not only does he speak of Christ, but he's not ashamed of the cross of Christ. He's not ashamed of the fact that, that this Christ was crucified uh, like a common criminal. Uh, and yet he sets before the people that Christ has been crucified upon the cross and it was by the determinate counsel those are the words which we have in our authorized version god determined that christ would die that he would die and he would shed his blood he wouldn't die in his bed he wouldn't die of old age he wouldn't die of a heart attack attack but he would die violently and his blood would be shed of course, these things are foreshadowed in the sacrifices of the Old Testament and indeed by the words of John the Baptist who said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And here Christ is the sacrifice upon the cross. But then, of course, not only does he speak to them of this crucifixion, of his death upon the cross, but more importantly, even uh, perhaps to them at this time of his resurrection, this new creation. Of course, what Peter wants is for these people to be a part of that new creation. He wants them to know the life of Christ. That Christ who is raised from the dead sheds abroad life to all of those who are in him. So that we also might live. So that we also might have the power of God. And of course when he stands up with the eleven he says that this is the power of God. This is the promise which God gave by Joel. It is God's power. And that power works in us and you can observe it. And now I am saying to you, you need to be saved. You need to know the power of God. You need to be a part of this new creation. Christ is raised from the dead. 
In verse 30, here we read, Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Verse 34, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Later on in the book of Acts, in chapter 13 and verse 33, we read, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And Christ in Revelation chapter 1 of verse 5, which we read this morning, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, the first begotten from the dead. This is a resurrection. This is the first begotten. But are you begotten from the dead? Are you born from the dead? Are you a new creature in Christ Jesus? Here we have this proclamation of who the Christ is, of what happened to the Christ, that he died upon the cross of Calvary, of his resurrection and the beginning of this new creation in Christ Jesus. And then we, see, we have this exaltation, of course, which we are looking at today, as the apostle says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Trust in Christ, come to him, be a part of this, be a part of this. This is that, verse 16, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is it. Today is the day. Now is the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That is what he is saying to this gathering of people. The proclamation. But then we have the promise also. And he makes mention of the promise in these verses. And he speaks of that promise which was made and he uh, tells the people that the promise is fulfilled in Christ. When we think about the promise, we go back to the Old Testament and we see there uh, that there was to be a time when Christ would come, this Messiah would come. Indeed, the Jews were waiting for Christ to come. And when Christ cometh, they said, uh, who will he be? What will he be? Will he do more um, signs and wonders than this that this man doeth? When he, they were waiting for the Christ to come. But when he did come, there were so many who didn't recognize him. They were looking for something else. They were looking for perhaps a, a, a leader, a captain, uh, someone like David, because he was called the son of David. And David was a great warrior, of course. David went into battle. Uh, David subdued the nations round about. This is what they were looking for. They didn't realize that there was a great adept even to David that he had himself been subdued by the great conqueror, God himself. And that the one who would come would not be subduing uh, physical nations upon this earth, but subduing his people from all the nations and making a new nation in Christ Jesus. But there was a preparation then, a time when the promise was given right from the foundation of the world, and in Galatians 4.4, 4, the Apostle Paul makes mention of it. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. There was a preparation. And all of this period through the Old Testament, 
as we see the sacrifices, as we see the failures uh, which went one after another uh, of failing to keep the law of God, failing to obey the Lord, failing to love the Lord, of having so many different gods before them rather than the Lord who had delivered them. In all of these things was the preparation. Again, Paul says in Ephesians 1.10 that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. The dispensation of the fullness of times. And what Peter is saying here is, this is the time. This is the time. What you are seeing here is God fulfilling his promise. And as you see him fulfilling his promise, that promise is salvation. And that salvation is being preached to you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We see in the promise, obviously, the prophecies of the Old Testament. As the Lord spoke to Abraham and said to him, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. All the nations, the goyim, that's us, the Gentiles, all the nations will all be blessed in the seed of Abraham. The Apostle Paul makes it clear uh, that this speaks not of the seed as in the people of Israel, but the seed as in Christ himself. And our salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. In Isaiah 56 and verse 6, we have this prophecy also. Also the sons of the stranger. The stranger, of course, is any person who's not a Jew. Someone from one of the nations round about, even nations which Israel was not aware of at that time. And also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. These are the words which Christ, of course, quoted when he cast out the money changers, when he cast out those who bought and sold in the temple. He was quoting these words because the time had come when the stranger would be brought in. And he says, God said, my house shall be made a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. It's not a house of prayer. There's no uh, 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 invitation to the nations to come here. And of course, ultimately, the temple was not that house of prayer to which the Lord was referring, but Christ himself is that house of prayer. And so the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and was not there at all for the Gentiles to come. But of course, the things that were sold and the money changers, where were they? They were in the court of the Gentiles. They were out on the outer courts, the court of the Gentiles, for whom the Jews had no care, nor love, nor desire to see them uh, transformed and saved. And the Lord cast them out. Is it not written, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And coming back to this chapter, chapter 2 of Acts, we read, For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Verse 39. So here is the promise which God gives. Here is the promise to which uh, we are drawn by the apostle Peter. And then we have here the proofs 
the proofs. Well, the proofs, when I talk about the proofs, really is looking back over Israel and the proof that we need a salvation, that we need a saviour. We look back over the Old Testament and all of that time which we had to wait, thousands of years before Jesus actually uh, set his foot upon the earth and walked amongst us, we might ask the question, why did it take so long? Why did God take such a long time over these things? But there were many failures, many attempts and many failures. Of course, when Adam was first upon the earth, here he was, created in perfection, his wife made from uh, that bone of his bone, uh, that they should be one flesh uh, and yet two people, and a, a, a tremendous picture, of course, of Christ in the church. But Adam failed. He failed. He was perfect. There was no reason for him to take of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was perfect already. And all he had to do was to love the Lord his God and to serve him with all his heart. But he doesn't. He hears the temptation of the wicked one and he feels that he needs to go and test this for himself. He doesn't give himself to the service of God and so falls plunges us all into that same situation lost the inheritance and of course once the inheritance is lost there is no no inheritance for anybody else to inherit Uh, it is gone some people say well why are we condemned for what adam did but it's the same isn't it in life if we were to have a, a father perhaps who was a millionaire and he became a gambler and lost the millions then we wouldn't be able to inherit them and a very similar thing is here uh, that Adam lost all for us. So the proofs are in the failures of Adam, the failure of humanity. After Adam, when there were this opportunity again to serve the Lord, the people became more and more wicked until God said, I'm going to destroy man from off the face of the earth. And he does so and saves just Noah. So Noah comes into this cleansed earth and there's only Noah and his three sons and the the four wives and yet immediately we find Noah goes and gets drunk and we find that his son, uh, well, perhaps goes into one of Noah's wives uh, and uh, uh, Canaan being the offspring of that wife. Uh, That would be my theory anyway. Uh, That's why Canaan was cursed and, and not Ham himself. But here is this this failure Noah has all the world all his family but he cannot serve the Lord uh, for a moment and then of course there is the failure of Israel God saves them brings them out of the land of Egypt he says to them if you are my servants I will make you a nation of priests you will be kings unto me but they can't even keep those things for a moment while Moses is up in the mountain receiving the ten commandments the statutes of God There they are making a golden calf and worshipping idols and saying, well, we don't know what's happened to Moses. Up, make us gods that will go before us. And so these failures, one after the other, we find uh, again and again, failures, failures, failures. Every person who tries to be righteous even fails. And so we see the necessity, the proof, the necessity of salvation which must be given to us it needs to be a gift romans 4 16 we read therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed 
not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. By faith, by faith, it is a promise. Believe, and thou shalt be saved. And then we see also in the words of this chapter the process. Just going back to verse 38 here, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And there we read, uh, after the people were pricked in their hearts and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And here is the process. First of all, conviction. Repent. Repent. Repent means change your mind. Change your mind. Have a new view. A new view of yourself. A new view of the world. Have new new view of your need. Come under a conviction of your sin. There was a conviction already, wasn't there, in verse 37. They were pricked in their hearts. And they cried, men and brethren, what shall we do? The Lord says, change your heart. Uh, uh, Peter, rather, says, change your heart and be baptized. We can get caught up with this word baptism, be baptized. Uh, We think of baptism, of course, as going through the waters of baptism. Uh, Somebody is put into the waters and there are various modes which are accepted by different people uh, as to which that should be and all of this. But basically, being baptized means to be washed. And if we change that word then from baptized, which has its own connotations, to simply be washed, then the apostle is saying, repent and be washed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Be washed in the name of Christ. Be washed in the name of Christ. Be washed from your sins. Be cleansed from your sins. Not necessarily going through these waters of baptism, even though they did that, but just be washed in the name of Christ. Be made clean. And being washed in the name of Christ required, of course, to know Christ, to come to Christ, to trust in Christ. And it is Christ alone who is able to forgive sins. Remember uh, the man who was let down through the roof of the house and laid before Jesus, and uh, Jesus said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And they said, Who is able to forgive sins? But God only. And Jesus knowing their murmurings, says, uh, what is the difference between me saying to him, arise, take up thy bed and walk, and some of thy sins be forgiven thee. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Christ is able to forgive sins. This cleansing, this washing is needed. And it says, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. A gift. The words mean simply that, a gift. Uh, that the Lord gives the Holy Spirit to us. It t- tells us in, uh, in Luke 24, verse 49, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with the power from on high. Endued, clothed. This is the process then. First of all, a change of heart, a change of mind, a repentance, a uh, a, a change from following the ways of the world uh, a, a change that we should save ourselves from the untoward or perverse generation the word uh, uh, perverse or the word untoward in actual, in actual fact in, uh, in the Greek is scolio or scolio 
from which we get our English medical term scoliosis. I don't know if you've come across scoliosis, but it means a twisted spine. Twisted spine. So scolio means twisted. And so he is saying, save yourselves from this twisted generation. Uh, we, we need to come to Christ. We need to have a new heart, a new mind, a new understanding. Call upon the Lord that we might be cleansed in the name of Jesus Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is the process. But then when we come back to this verse once again, in verse 40, save yourselves from this untoward generation. But at the beginning it says, and with many other words did he testify and exhort. So Peter is passionate here. And this is the passion. First of all, he has this understanding of the situation a similar understanding that all of us if we are christians have of this present age there is a there is a scoliosis there is a a twistedness to the thinking of people that they don't need salvation that they're good enough that there's nothing after this anyway all kinds of different ideas and thoughts come to them but nevertheless we are in the midst of them and are we to walk with them believe what they believe accept what they say or to save ourselves from this untoward generation we are to trust in christ again like last week we are to look for the narrow door that narrow gate which leadeth unto life we are to look for it separate yourselves from the crowd look for it strive to enter in the apostle had an understanding and he is saying to them if you follow if you follow the crowd you will be lost with the crowd but you need to come to christ and there were many you see in verse 41 then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there was added unto them about three thousand souls they were baptized and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls oh i i, I don't know uh whether that is speaking about being baptized in water or not uh, it, it means they were washed maybe they were washed in the spirit washed in the blood of the lamb perhaps they were all baptized that day three thousand an awful lot of people to be baptized uh, i have to say but even if they were close to the pool of siloam and all the disciples were baptizing at the same time three thousands a lot of people on that one day perhaps it means just simply they were washed they were cleansed and of course you can be cleansed now you don't have to go through waters in order to be forgiven for sins you go through the waters so that we might testify before the world that we have been forgiven for our sins but the cleansing is immediate the cleansing is through the blood of the lord jesus christ the cleansing is offered right this moment believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved we see here peter's urgency with many words did he testify and exhort saying save yourselves from this untoward generation save yourselves do it do it now come and trust in the lord jesus christ here we see then this great preaching of the apostle peter on this day this first message really isn't it Uh, that he preaches and he preaches it with great power with great passion and the lord hears 
uh, the cries of so many who said, men and brethren, what shall we do? We can come and trust in him and we can be saved. I wonder if we are each one saved tonight, whether we've trusted in Christ, whether we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, whether our mind is changed, whether our desire is after our God, whether we will walk with him. May the Lord bless this thought, these thoughts to our hearts and bless us, each one, with the salvation which is in Christ alone.